Hi, ladies. Welcome to Women in the Word from wherever you might be joining us from. I'm Shelley Davis. I love studying the scriptures with each of you and so glad that you are uh, getting your Bibles out and joining us this morning. I just want to remind you that you can hit the notes button and download the outline and verse sheet to follow along with our lesson this morning. Now, I have three grown sons. When they were teenagers, one of the roles that I played in their lives was the fun police. I should have had a t-shirt that said fun police on the front of it because that meant that I was always the one that had to step in after they had been enjoying themselves a little too much on the weekend or spring break or summer vacation and remind them that there were responsibilities in life that could not be ignored. There were yards to mow and rooms to clean and homework to do. In other words, the party was over. The party was over. And you can imagine how popular I was with all of the teenagers, mine and all of their friends, uh, because I was the mom that always ruined the fun with the harsh reality of life. We're gonna look at two more chapters of Revelation together today. And um, the harsh reality of God's judgment is actually going to ruin the fun for the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all the unbelievers who are united with each of them. For the one world false religion and the one world political government, both of which are called Babylon in the scriptures, we're gonna see that today. The party is truly over as God's long awaited judgment becomes reality. But, you know, even though we're looking at chapters 17 and 18 today, the tale of these two Babylons actually starts a long time before John hears these words of judgment in these two chapters. It begins in Genesis 10 and 11, when the sons of Noah inhabit the earth after the flood. The scriptures tell us that during that time, there was one language on the earth, and as people settled in the plain of Shinar near the town of Babel, they devised a scheme. They devised a scheme to make themselves great and powerful so that they would be a one world government and a one world religion. And what they did was they united to build a tower that would give them what they supposed was an opportunity to enter heaven and sit alongside God himself. Look at Genesis 11 verses one and four with me. <clears throat> now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. God, of course, saw that scheme for exactly what it was. He was not fooled for a moment. He saw their pride. He saw their independent spirit. He saw their desire to be as great as God himself. And in his mercy, however, because our God's mercy is great, he didn't just end their prideful lives. Instead, what he did was in their quest for one world government and one world religion, by scrambling their language and scattering them throughout the whole face of the earth. But the foolishness of Babylon, as it eventually became known, does not end with God intervening with the Tower of Babel 
centuries before Christ, false religions were birthed and celebrated in Babylon. This Babylon became a center of world power along with the center of false religions. Baal worship, which was always a temptation for the Israelites throughout the ages, actually originated from a false god of Babylon. Uh, throughout the ages, Babylon has been a symbol of apostasy and idol worship in place of the worship of the one true God of all creation. And ironically, it was Babylon that God used to discipline the Israelites for their continued idol worship in the book of Daniel. Judah, the southern kingdom of the nation of Israel, was carried into captivity for 70 years by the Babylonians 600 years before Christ. From its beginning, first Babel and then Babylon cultivated religion against uh, rebellion against God and every kind of idol worship while lusting after economic and political power. But here in chapter 17 and 18, we see that the party in Babylon is finally over. And our first look at the destruction of Babylon in chapter 17 is not going to be as a city or as a geographical location, but we're gonna look at it as the destruction of a system of false religion that has flourished throughout the world. This religious system named Babylon here in chapter 17 has power and prominence during the first half of the tribulation as an anti-Christian, atheistic, humanistic, worldwide super church. So let's read together and see how God goes about initiating the downfall of Babylon. Look at chapter 17, verse one with me. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was a name, was written a name of mystery, <clears throat> Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyr of Jesus. Now, last week, we looked uh, at chapter 16 with Venita. We saw the end of the seven bowl uh, judgments at the end of the Great Tribulation. The seventh bowl judgment was poured out and the angel declared, it is done. Judgment on the earth was complete and Jesus was going to be returning for the millennial kingdom. But John, right here in chapter 17, has not recorded the events of chapter 17 in chronological order following chapter 16. The events of this vision that John sees here with one of the angels of the seven bowls takes place in a different time frame. This angel has not yet poured out one of those seven bowls. The downfall of this 
Babylon in chapter 17 most likely takes place at the midpoint of the tribulation before the seals and the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments commence. And here, right here uh, in verse one, we see John is once again on the earth. You know, he's gone back and forth between heaven and earth. He's on earth with an angel to witness the vision of the future. And what he sees in this vision is just like all the others. It's pretty unusual, isn't it? Um, He's taken to a desolate spot by the angel. And what he sees is this woman and she's dressed in purple and scarlet and with gold and jewels and pearls. And what she's holding is a gold cup filled with every possible evil. And she's seated on a scarlet beast with seven heads and 10 horns. The name she's given is Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and abominations. And that name is called a mystery. The angel says it's a mystery. And the reason, um, uh, we're gonna look at the reason it's a mystery here. That name is actually one of the clues that this is not about the geographical location of the city of Babylon. Because the mystery that's revealed here is that Babylon is the symbol. Babylon here in chapter 17 is a symbol. It's a symbol of all false religious systems. So this Babylon is a harlot and she's been a fountainhead for abomination and apostasy throughout the ages. Personified as a prostitute, the false religious system named Babylon has done a myriad of terrible things in the world. It's distorted Christianity, promoted pagan worship, edified non-Christian religions. And all of these perversions of the worship of the one true God have extracted a great price from the saints and the apostles and the prophets, their very lives, their very lives. But the angel shows John that the final judgment of Babylon, the mother of false religions is at hand. After Jesus' church is raptured at the beginning of the great tribulation and taken out of the world, the false religion of Babylon reigns throughout the world in the end times. And it spreads like a cancer. The false religion of Babylon spreads like a cancer in the first three and a half years of the tribulation because it grows into a worldwide atheistic super church. I want you to think for a minute of the churches that you know now, and we all know a few that have already abandoned the authority of the scriptures. They don't believe that this is um, the true word, a literal word of God. They also don't really believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there's one way to heaven and it's through uh, faith by grace in our Lord Jesus. And we know churches today that have turned away from the scriptures and the gospels to humanistic endeavors. In the tribulation, these churches will continue to exist. They're going to be devoid of all believers in the tribulation, and they're going to be left to flourish in their humanistic, atheistic, anti-Christian endeavors during the tribulation. It's going to be a humanistic, anti-Christian worldwide religion that begins in the tribulation. And the imagery that we see here with the great prostitute of false religion named Babylon sitting on the beast reveals that this worldwide powerful church of spiritual apostasy actually dominates 
the one world government of the Antichrist and his thugs during the tribulation period, the first half of the tribulation. In the first three and a half years, there's gonna be an alliance of this apostate church with the Antichrist worldwide government. This apostate anti-Christian church will be supported by the politics and the power of the beast. But the apostate church is going to be the one that will control and direct the beast during the first half of the tribulation. It's actually the perfect marriage, if you think about it. It's the marriage of this humanistic anti-God religion and the humanistic anti-God state, the perfect marriage of the tribulation. But judgment is coming for the false religion named Babylon. Look at verses seven and eight in your Bibles with me, chapter 17. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and 10 horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Now, I love to work jigsaw puzzles with my seven grandchildren. I confess they are way better at it than I am, but it fascinates me to watch uh, their different personalities and how they approach a puzzle to solve. They all do it differently. Some start with colors. They sort the puzzle pieces into colors. Some start with the border to a jigsaw puzzle. They sort that out uh, and start with that. And then there are a couple that always just wanna start in the middle of the picture and get that big picture put together. That's what we're gonna do with this puzzle right here with, um, in chapter 17. We're gonna start in the middle with the beast He's the same beast that we talked about in chapter 13 a few weeks ago with Lynn. He's the Antichrist, the demonic man that is supported by the supernatural power of Satan. The imagery of him rising up here from the bottomless pit is put there to remind us, uh, not necessarily that he physically came up out of a pit, but it reminds us that the power wielded by the Antichrist is not his own. He is one with Satan. And his description as was and is not and is to come gives us a couple of different meanings and images. The first meaning that we're gonna look at is that the Antichrist, as he comes to power at the beginning of the tribulation as a peacemaker, he's going to revive a system of worldwide government and power that has not been seen since the Roman Empire ruled the entire world during John's day. So in a sense, this description of was and is not and is to come points to this one world government and world empire that the Antichrist with his satanic powers is going to revive during the tribulation because the Roman empire was, it existed for nearly a thousand years, then it disappeared with the Antichrist, a very similar empire to the Roman empire, a worldwide empire with one ruler is going to emerge again. But this phrase also gives us a picture of the Antichrist's attempts to imitate Christ's life and death and resurrection in order to win the world's devotion 
which he covets when he recovers from what appears to be a mortal wound. Look at Revelation 13.3 with me on your verse sheet. One of its heads seems to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. You know, the revival of the end times empire and the supernatural recovery of the Antichrist from what would appear to be a mortal wound is going to make the world marvel and follow after him in mass. And it's going to give Satan and his puppet the worship that they crave. We also see, just like in chapter 13, that the beast has seven heads and 10 horns. Now, the seven heads we talked about with Lynn represent seven different kingdoms that have been world powers and existed in the world. The first five kingdoms or five heads here of the beast have already passed during John's day. They are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medio, Persia, and Greece. Those kingdoms have already disappeared. The sixth kingdom um, actually exists during John's day, and that is the Roman Empire. Now, the seventh kingdom would be that empire that emerges under the rule of the Antichrist at the beginning of the tribulation. But look at verse 11 with me. Drop your eyes down to verse 11 in chapter 17. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh and it goes to destruction. The eighth beast that is talked about here after these seven kingdoms seems to be the final kingdom that is in the last three and a half years of the tribulation or the great tribulation when the Antichrist breaks his covenant of peace with Israel and becomes the world's sole dictator and its God. But now let's talk about those horns. Look at verse 12 and 13 with me. And the 10 horns that you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind. They hand over their power and authority to the beast. Now these 10 horns are 10 heads of nations around the world that are going to form a 10 nation federation and become allies with the beast. Now their federation during the first half of the um, tribulation looks like that revived Roman empire of the seventh head of the beast, but they're only in power for a short time. That only exists until the midpoint of the tribulation because at the midpoint of the tribulation, during the last three and a half years, they give their power to the antichrist. But there is one more moment in the tribulation when they do come together again with the Antichrist, even after giving him sole power. Look at verse 14 with me. And they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of lords and King of kings and those with him are called, chosen and faithful. Throughout the tribulation, this 10 leader federation has apparently stood in great opposition to our Lord Jesus and to all of those who come to faith in him during the tribulation. What this means here that they make war on the lamb 
Um, in the first part of the tribulation, it means that there's probably no safe place in the world for believers. It means that there was no place for them to, a country to go, that they were safe. They were hunted and despised by this 10 liter federation wherever they were. And then in the very few last days of the great tribulation, this 10 liter federation brings all of their armies and they stage for the great battle of Armageddon. Uh, they unite with the Antichrist at Armageddon to fight against Jesus one last time as he returns to the earth. And this is the part that I love. Jesus will return to the earth as the very thing that the Antichrist and Satan wants to be, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And our King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to the, defeat the beast and the 10 kings in this final battle. And we're gonna be there with him to witness that victory because he describes us here. We're described as his called and his chosen and his faithful at this final battle of Armageddon. You know, so many times in all of our lives, we have all been frustrated and appalled and horrified that evil seems to win in this world, doesn't it? In this last battle on earth, we are gonna be part of the final defeat of evil. That's exciting. So let's look at what we've got put together with our Babylonian puzzle uh, so far. We have the prostitute, which is the false religious system named Babylon. We have the beast, which is the Antichrist. And during the first half of the tribulation, they have a codependent relationship. Religious Babylon, which has been a fountainhead of apostasy, comes to worldwide power through the apostate humanistic super church in the first half of the tribulation. And this apostate church during those first three and a half years really um, rules the roost. It exerts significant influence <clears throat> over the whole world and over the Antichrist world government. But at the midpoint of the tribulation, things change for the prostitute named Babylon. Look at verse 15 with me. <clears throat> and the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. So the um, apostate Christian church has had an incredible influence over the population of the entire world during this first three and a half years. You know, and as I studied this, it was such irony to me that none of these people had been willing to be part of the one true church of our Lord Jesus Christ that was raptured at the um, beginning of the tribulation. But now, during the tribulation, they're all going to flock to a fake church promoted by Satan and come under its influence. Even though this super church was embraced by every nation and every uh, uh, language, the 10 leaders of the world and the Antichrist detest the power that this uh, worldwide church has. They despise the influence of the super church has over the people around the world. 
and the party is finally over for religious Babylon, the mother of false religion, because these 10 world leaders and the Antichrist scheme together to destroy this fake church once and for all. And the reason they do it is because the Antichrist wants it all. Um, he doesn't want to share any power or any influence with even a fake church. This demonic leader wants all power and worship for himself. And the reason that theologians think this happens, this destruction of um, the mother of all prostitutes, false religion named Babylon, at the midpoint of the tribulation is because it is at the midpoint of the seven years that the Antichrist sets himself up to become the absolute dictator of the entire world um, and the object of worship for the entire world. It's at the midpoint of the tribulation that he decides to assume the rightful place of God and demand that the world worship him at all costs. Look at the prophecy of this time with me in Daniel. Look at Daniel eleven thirty six. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. And he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other God for he shall magnify himself above all and look at Second Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So the false religion named Babylon is finally struck down by the one who wants to be God himself. And here's the best thought of the entire chapter. Look at verse 17 with me in chapter 17. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. You know, even though the Antichrist has set himself up as the world dictator and the world's God, it is still our God who is sovereign, who's truly in control. And just as God put an end to the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, he puts an end to the apostasy of Babylon once and for all as he uses the Antichrist and the world rulers to do away with this worldwide fake atheistic superchurch, the perverted dream that started with the Tower of Babel where one people would unite to become all powerful and equal to God. We actually see that culminate right here in the tribulation with Satan's perverted scheme of one worldwide ruler and one worldwide religion. But our God reigns. Our God reigns as his plan to execute judgment on on evil, using evil, is carried out. The party is over for the false religious system that throughout the ages um, has existed and is named Babylon here. Our lesson today, our lesson today, as we think about chapter 17, 
um, and look at the destructive role that false religion from Babel to Babylon has played in our world um, and against followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, our lesson is to remember the sovereignty of God. Remember the sovereignty of God, regardless of what the world looks like around us, no matter what evil looks or what chaos seems to reign. Our job is to walk in the sovereignty of God. Our God's sovereign purpose prevails as he allows evil to destroy the apostasy of worldwide religion once and for all. No matter what the world looks like, today or tomorrow or next year, we can walk in the truth that our God is sovereign. Psalm 22:28. it was in your homework, it's not on your verse sheet, says, for, king, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over nations. That is the truth. And now that the party is over for religious Babylon, we have another Babylon to talk about. Uh, look at chapter 18 with me, verse one. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So we're switching gears here. We're switching gears from Babylon as the fountainhead of religious apostasy to the city of Babylon as a center for commercial, economic, and political power in the end times. Now, the discussion that um, theologians have is whether this Babylon, this actual city of Babylon, is an existing city today, such as Rome, and several uh, theologians think that, um, that the existing city of Rome is being called Babylon an end times prophecy, or whether the historic city of Babylon on the Euphrates River um, in present day Iraq is going to be rebuilt as an economic and political power center prior to the tribulation. And truly, no one knows. No one has the answer to that question, whether it's present day Rome or whether it's an entirely new city. This Babylon, this city of Babylon stands for a satanic system of humanism and commercialism and excessive wealth and political power. That's what we're talking about here, regardless of the city. So we see that John encounters another angel here. This is different from the first angel and it happens sometime after the message, the vision that we saw in chapter 17. And this angel has great authority and it, he describes a future judgment on this Babylon as if it has already happened. And this is a different destruction, if you think about it, a different destruction from what we saw with the great prostitute in the last chapter. The destruction of religious Babylon, that false religious system, came at the hand of the Antichrist and the 10 world leaders who despised that atheistic superchurch. The destruction of this economic and political city of Babylon seems to be accomplished 
quickly and decisively, most likely by the earthquake that we looked at at the end of chapter 16. I think it was verse 18. Um, So look at verse 8 in chapter 18 with me. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And drop your eyes down to verse 10 in chapter 18. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. The city's destruction is quick, and it is complete. And God's judgment now makes the city of Babylon, we read in those first three verses, a home for evil. Because after his judgment, it becomes filled with demons and evil spirits. And it is a fitting end for a city which has apparently, during the tribulation, corrupted every nation in the entire world through its obsession with wealth and power. But as unlikely as it seems, it appears in these verses here in chapter 18 that some have actually become believers in the city of Babylon while living in this decadent city. And John hears another voice here from heaven calling out these believers so that they can escape the day of judgment physically and leave the city. Look at verse 4 with me. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. In order to have God's protection, anyone that had become a believer while living in the city of Babylon during the tribulation is going to need to escape. He's giving them a warning here. And it's reminiscent for us of God calling Lot and his family out of Sodom before he rains down fire and sulfur in judgment on Sodom to destroy that city. Look at Genesis 19:15 with me. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. Just like Lot and his family, If believers in Babylon love this city of wealth and luxury, love their possessions and their homes and their shops, whatever it is they've been doing in the city, if they love that so much that they don't leave quickly, that they stop to get their luxury cars or pack their bags, um, they're going to perish too, along with all the unbelievers. Those believers that become... um, Christians during the tribulation need to heed the angel's warning to willingly leave their possessions and their lifestyle in order to survive the wrath of God's judgment that is coming. Look at what Jesus says about this in Luke 17. On that day, let the one who was on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. Likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Physical survivors for believers in Babylon is going to depend on them leaving their worldly possessions behind. 
but there are plenty in Babylon whose lives are fully focused on the wealth and the prosperity and the power that this city has brought to them. And God is going to judge them and crush them in one short hour. They are going to be devastated. We're going to read as their world, their purpose, the center of their entire universe goes up in flames and disappears. Look at verse nine with me in chapter 18. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Now look at verse 11. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Look at verses 14 and 15. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone for you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of a torment, weeping and mourning aloud. And finally look at verse 17. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste and all shipmasters and seafaring men and sailors whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. The world's leaders mourn the collapse of Babylon because it is Babylon that has made them crazy rich and given them more power than they could possibly ever imagine. The ship captains and the sailors mourn the loss of this great city as they sit out there and watch it burning from their ships because it has been a source of revenue that they never thought could happen. But even more than the world's leaders and the ship captains, the world's merchants are beside themselves. Um, in verses 12 and 13 that we did not read, they list 29 different items, including the buying and selling of people. The buying and selling of people that they are weeping and mourning over the loss of. This was the focus and purpose of their entire life. In this final Babylon, in the last days of the great tribulation, people are addicted to their power, their luxury, their profits, their customers, their luxurious lifestyles. They are holding fast to it, secure in it. And yet, in a single hour, our God disappears it in judgment before their eyes. Let's look at how that happens in verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it in the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sounds of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants will be the great ones of the earth, and all were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets, of saints, and of all who have been slain on the earth. You know, the angel's throwing of this great, giant, big millstone in the sea, uh, which will sink. Uh, is a symbolic reference to the fact that um, the future center of wealth and power in the tribulation is going to be completely destroyed. 
never to rise again. Never again will there be music or people or the light of life. And that description here makes you so sad when you read of it because it is a true picture of life without God, dark and empty and hopeless. And our chapter ends here with the reminder that the sins of both Babylons, religious Babylon and the commercial wealthy Babylon, have been costly to God's people. The blood of the saints runs through the streets of both Babylons and God's judgment has been deserved. Look at verse 20 with me. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. You know, the great divide between people who worship the things of the world and between people who worship the God of all the universe is so evident here in this last chapter. The saints, the apostles, and the prophets are called to rejoice over God's final judgment. He's done it for them. He's done it for them. The party that evil has been having on earth is finally over once and for all. And when you read this, if it strikes you as a hard thing to rejoice over the destruction of a city filled with people that will no longer make music or light their homes, I want you to remember the truth. Remember the truth. The truth that these are people and Babylon was a city that was offered God's mercy, beginning with the Tower of Babel centuries before. Our God has been patient and merciful throughout the ages, and we've seen His patience and His mercy throughout all these judgments in Revelation as well. Remember the martyrs that called out for God's judgment in Revelation 6. Look at your verse sheet, uh, Revelation 6, 9, and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Even when God's own people, the martyrs of our Lord Jesus Christ, called out for judgment, God still waited. He still waited, hoping even Babylon would repent. Look at 2 Peter 3, 9 on your verse sheet. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, wishing that, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. For our tale of these two Babylons, the party is finally over. God's judgment comes to the religious Babylon at the midpoint of the tribulation when the Antichrist sets himself up as God and Babylon, the city of wealth and commerce and power is destroyed in a single hour at the end of the great tribulation as Jesus prepares to uh, return to the earth. As we look at the wails and the laments of the kings and the ship captains and the merchants, our job is going to be to remind ourselves that as God's people, we're going to have to hold wealth and power and the things of this world lightly because it can be gone in a single moment, in a single hour. But what we should hold fast to, ladies, is we should hold fast to the real treasure 
that we will never be able to lose, never be able to lose our Lord Jesus Christ and what we have been waiting for as his people in eternity. Look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on heaven where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, for us, our party is never going to end once we step into God's eternal kingdom. Pray with me. Father, it's true. You are a God of great mercy and great patience. We thank you for um, our Lord Jesus Christ, for our salvation, for the opportunity that we have right now in this world to share the truth of who he is, to help others step into the kingdom that they might uh, know that this world is going to disappear in a single hour. Um, the wealth, everything that we hold on to right now can be gone. But our relationship with you, Lord, will be with us for all eternity. I thank you for the truth of that. I thank you for everyone that is um, watching and listening and studying your word with us today. And I pray all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.